making our way here through the book of Romans. And uh, it's a great chapter. It's very interesting to me that the Lord laid this out to where this thing comes up um, tonight after we dealt with that mystery on uh, Sunday evening, Sunday afternoon. So we got a little bit of a reiteration of the point, but we'll dig into it a little bit more in detail tonight uh, into the whole chapter here. The Bible says in uh, Romans chapter 11, verse 1, I say then, if God cast away his people, God forbid, for I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham and of the tribe of Benjamin. Let's pray. Father, we love you tonight. We thank you so much for our church family. We thank you for the privilege to be here. Uh, God, I thank you for the Bible. Thank you, Lord, for the Holy Spirit of God. I thank you, Lord, for a church. Thank you for calling me to preach. Lord, sometimes I just can't even figure it out. You just, you would even call somebody like me. And that you would do among us what you're doing. Lord, seeing people saved and seeing visitors come and seeing our church grow. Lord, what a blessing. Seeing the good spirit that's in this room of fellowship among these people. We, we need you, Lord. And I pray tonight that you'd fill me with the Holy Spirit of God and help me to, help me to teach your word faithfully. Help me to get every distraction and every uh, demonic, uh, um, um, you, know, you know the way they work, Lord. Help me to get them out of my head and just to focus on teaching the Bible faithfully to your people. And I pray you'd help everybody that's here to be able to get something out of this that will help encourage them and strengthen their faith in the word of God. And strengthen our faith in sound doctrine. Help us to love our Bibles and love sound doctrine. And Lord, we pray that soon you'd come and get us out of this old sinful world. And we ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Notice in verse number one, I say then, if God cast away his people. So you got some very simple-minded people that'll say, well, his people's the church. But the phrase, his people, when it shows up in the Bible, 90% of the time it's in reference to the Jews. And you can go back and look at it on your own, Exodus 3 and Exodus 8 and Exodus 19, all the way through there. When you look at God talking about His people, He's talking about Israel 90% of the time. You say, well, this is the New Testament. How do we know He's talking about Israel? All right, so rather than spend a bunch of time running a bunch of references, look at the, look at the verse and watch it define itself. He says, God forbid, for I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin, he, he nailed that thing down. He ran the thing all the way down to clarify not just the fact that he's an Israelite, not just the fact that he's of the seed of Abraham, but on top of that, he's of the tribe of Benjamin. So he makes it pretty clear he's talking about Israel. He's not talking about the church. Now, you see how simple that is? Isn't that real easy? That's not rocket science, is it? You know what it takes? It takes some religious fool. It takes some kind of a theological education to trick you out of your Bible and get you to start believing false doctrine. That's all it takes. It takes somebody that will pull a verse out of context and make an application of that verse the way they want to make an application of it. You see, I know I knock on, I knock on theologians and all that stuff all the time, but you've got to understand the difference between the modern-day seminaries and theology schools and a Bible institute. A Bible institute focuses on the Bible. Now, not every one of them, but the ones that I've known friends with and been around, they focus on teaching you the Bible. They go through the Bible, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, rightly dividing the word of truth, comparing spiritual things to spiritual, comparing Scripture to Scripture, and they teach you the Bible. There's nothing wrong with that. Every God-called preacher, if you really think God called you to preach, if you really think He did, then you ought to enroll in Bible Institute and you ought to finish Bible Institute. There's no shortcuts, period. Start it and finish it. That's the end of the discussion. You don't get to jump steps. It doesn't work that way. You have to sit down and learn before you're ready to teach anybody. You have to apply your hind end of the seat, boring hour after boring. You're saying the Bible's boring? <laughs> You've never read your Bible if you don't think some of it gets kind of boring. I'm in numbers right now, okay, so get off my back. And every word of God is pure, and every single word means something to me, and I'm so devoted to it, I read every single word multiple times a year to you. And it gets to a point where the excitement wears off, and you're like, I'm going to get in Bible school, and I'm going to get this done. You know, you go to the graduation, and you see everybody else graduating, so you get all, <laughs> you know, I'm going to do that. And okay, okay, that's great. You should. I'm glad you got encouraged. I'm glad you got fired up. Now sit there. Hour after hour after hour after hour. And then, and then where did he get to the test? And like, where, that wasn't in the notes. Where did he get that? I mean, has anybody been to college? Yeah. 
How many times you get to the college class and you're like, they didn't even teach us this stuff. I don't know why this is on the test. It's true everywhere, including Bible Institute. Deal with it. Why? Because it prepares you for the ministry. You think every single week you feel like sitting down and writing another message? I'm looking at Ezekiel. I'm studying Ezekiel a little bit right now. You know, seven times in Ezekiel's ministry, he says, the hand of the Lord was upon me. And something crazy happened. You know what went hour after hour, day after day, month after month, and year after year, in between seven times the hand of God touched him? In between that, you know what happened? Lay on your side for 380 days. Lay on your other side for 40 days. Eat starvation rations to show Israel I'm going to starve them out. God starved him. God got him down. You know how emaciated he had to get? Eat dung to show them what they're doing. Your wife's going to die and you're not allowed to cry about it. Don't tell me the ministry's all you know, exciting. You've got to sit there and study your Bible. And you've got to compare Scripture to Scripture. And you've got to get grounded in the Word of God. And you've got to understand that not everything applies to you in the church age. That's the problem. These guys are so simplistic when it comes to their Bibles that they just get this, this shallow mind to try to make everything apply to us all the way through history. It's nutty. Some, some wannabe scholar was jumping on one of our members recently and getting all over him about the fact that uh, uh, he's saved in the Old Testament looking forward to the cross. And he's like, you know, I haven't been saved that long. Grown man. Been around the block and back a few times. Like a lot more than the individual that's trying to show off. And, you know, he's saving the old. He's like, it doesn't make any sense, preacher. Like, they're, like they're, they're slaying a lamb and they're like, I'm putting my faith and trust in the shed blood of Jesus. If they were doing that with that kind of knowledge of putting their faith and trust in the shed blood of Jesus, then why when Jesus showed up would anybody in their right mind go ahead and crucify him if they knew he was the Messiah? You lost your marbles, man. They're saved looking forward to the cross. Hogwash. The problem is they don't believe the Bible the way it is. They try to make the Bible fit into their view and their mentality of what the Bible should be. And nowadays you have a major political influence coming into the picture, even in churches. This is a demonic thing. You understand that? Saying that the church has replaced Israel and all the promises of Israel have now gone to the church is a demonic doctrine. And it is not Bible. And it's not that hard to see the truth if you really want the truth and believe every word of that book is inerrant, infallible, and inspired. If you believe every word of the Bible, that God gave it to you in your language, that, that I hold right here in my hand the perfect words of God, every one of them. You don't need some kind of a Hebrew language or some kind of a dead Greek language. Only dimwits think that stuff. I don't care if they got an IQ of 170. You're a dimwit. If you think the Bible's in a dead language, the Bible's alive. And God gave it to us today right here in front of us so we can look at it. Just you, you don't have to be a scholar. You can look at it and you can see it's pretty obvious. He said God cast away his people. Run the references on his people. Find out 90% of the time it's talking about Israel. In this context, it's obvious it's talking about Israel because he said, for I also am. There you go. You know, God really began working with Israel again in 1948. I did a little bit of research on all that, and I don't have time to delve into it all today, but it's pretty exciting. You know, there was a long buildup coming. All kinds of stuff was going. I mean, the, the World War, World War I was moving back before that to start moving all the pictures, the puzzle pieces into place. Political leaders were moving to start setting everything up to bring Israel in all the way back as far as World War I. That's when it started. They wind up getting established as a nation in 1948. It was God. He's doing, he's bringing them back to the land. All this stuff about Palestine. All, you know, the Ottoman Empire fell. They lost the war. There was a vacancy left there. And all the Arab nations were wanting to go in there and get their hands on that land. And, and, and it was England that got behind the Jews and said, let's give the Jews a settlement over here. So this, they're taking our property. No, they didn't. The, the, the Ottoman Empire was in there and got wiped out because they lost the war. That, so these other people that are trying to move in don't have any more right to it than the Jews do. Actually, the Jews have a right to it scripturally going all the way back to the beginning. I'm just trying to tell you that something is going on right now in this world and I, God's getting to where he's getting sick of the church. Yeah. 
That's, I mean, he said, when the fullness of the Gentile comes in, I'm bringing her out. And we're going to see that in this passage. He warns us that be careful because if God broke off Israel, he'll break you off too. And I'm telling you, one of the things that probably makes God more upset than anything else is when you mess with his people while they're backslidden. Yes, they are. And so wasn't Elijah. So wasn't David. So wasn't Jacob. The conniver, the supplanter. God told Laban, he said, when you meet up with that boy, don't you touch him. Don't speak to him, good or bad. Leave him alone. God, Jacob's over there wrestling with the angel, right? Remember that? You know what God's doing? God's over there telling the angel, Jesus Christ, that he's wrestling with, is over there telling Esau, hey, when you get to Jacob, don't you touch him. I know he's backslidden. I'm working on him. I've been working on him for 20-something years. You leave him alone, I'll take care of my boy. Yeah. Folks, I'm telling you, God's, take, God's working on Israel. And he's not done with her. God has not cast her away. Verse 2. God hath not cast away his people who he foreknew. That just means foreknowledge. We've talked about that before. That doesn't mean God micromanaged them. Because if God was a Calvinist, Israel would have never backslid. They went against his will. I don't understand how Calvinists think. Other than they get super educated and proud of their IQ. That's the only thing I can think of. I don't, listen, I'd rather have a solidly average IQ. I don't really want to be less than average, but, but I'd rather be solidly average and believe the Bible. All right, let me take it a step farther. I'd rather be below average and believe the Bible and pray on my knees next to my bed, begging God to open up that book to me and teach me that Bible with a below average IQ than be a brilliant individual who starts thinking that I'm God and I can correct him. He'll make a fool out of you. So he foreknew, what ye not, that means know ye not, what the scripture saith of Elias, how he maketh intercession to God against Israel, saying, Lord, they've killed thy prophets and dig down thine altars, and I am left alone, and they seek my life. That's uh, 1 Kings 19. You know what he's doing? He's wore out with them. He's wore out with Israel. He'd been preaching to them. He wanted to see them saved. He's doing everything God wants him to do. He dries up the brook. He dries up the, the, the water. It doesn't rain. All that stuff's going on. And then some woman comes along. And it, I'll tell you what it wasn't. You know what it wasn't that got in Elijah's head? It wasn't a woman. He, he just slaughtered hundreds of men. He was not afraid of no woman. You know what it was? It was a demonic spirit. And you know how the demonic spirit got in his head? All she did is said something. Isn't that interesting? And he starts interceding to God against Israel. He wanted God to get her. According to this passage, when he was praying, he's like, don't you know that Elias made intercession to God against Israel? And then what he said to God is, look at all they've done and now they're trying to kill me. I'm sick of them. Did you ever notice Moses and God never got on the same page? A good thing. When Moses wanted them dead, God's like, no. And when God said, back up, I'll wipe them out and start over with you. And Moses interceded for him. What's Pharaoh going to say? What are the Egyptians going to say? And God's like, all right, I won't. So Elijah got, he was backslidden. He was so tired of the people he was trying to minister to. He was tired of their rebellion. He was tired of the fact that they were killing the prophets. And he was tired of watching his friends die. And he was tired of being alone. He was tired of feeling like there was nobody out there but him. He had an independent, fundamental, King James Bible-believing, pre-millennial, -dis, pre dispensational attitude. We're the only ones there is. And it wasn't true. Look at verse 4. But what saith the answer of God unto him? I have reserved to myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to, Baal, to the image of Baal. There's more out there than you think. There's more like us than you think. 
That's one of the blessings people from our church have gotten out of going down to the Jubilee. Like, I didn't realize there was this many Bible-believing preachers around. These guys all believe like you. As far as we know, if any of them don't, they'll show themselves sooner or later, and they'll be gone. Don't worry. But for the most part, yeah, I think so. That's a blessing, man. They're all over the country. They're all over the world. But you feel like, you know, you're, you're the only one. It's because we don't have a denominational headquarters. That's what it is. And we're never going to get one. Our headquarters is in heaven. I don't give a flip about denominations. The name we're worried about is the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and based on His Word. If you don't like me for that, then hit the road. I'm not going to lose an ounce of sleep over it. All right, verse 5. Even so at this present time also, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. So what's the election? It's of grace. You want to be elect? Accept the grace. It's unmerited favor. It's not that you're reading into it when you say God picks some of them. He said, listen, Elijah, there's 7,000 guys out there that haven't bowed the knee to Baal. He didn't say there's 7,000 guys out there I haven't allowed to bow the knee to Baal. Because he told all of Israel, don't bow the knee to Baal. 7,000 guys listened, the rest of Israel didn't. It's simple. That you, you, you read into it when you think all the other stuff and you ignore all the passages that show you you have a free will. He tells Eve, every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, the tree that's in the midst of the garden, don't eat it. The day you eat thereof, you'll surely die. That's what he told her. What'd she do? She went directly against his will. Didn't she? Her will versus his will. And she said, forget you, God, I'm doing this. So how could you be a Calvinist? I mean, if God created him perfect, that was obviously his will. His will was not for her to fall. His will was for her to live. He, he showed up in the garden wanting to walk with Adam. Adam, where art thou? His will was to walk with Adam in the cool of the day. He wanted that fellowship. He showed up to fellowship with him, and he's hiding himself. He's like, what are you doing? I'm naked. Who told you that? It all went directly against the will of God. Yes, you can resist the will of God. Yes, you can go the opposite direction. Yes, it is on you to say, God, you're right, I'm wrong, I'll turn it around. Forgive me, please. Or deal with the consequences. If I was a Calvinist, I'd quit. <laughs> what would be the point? Why, why would I even waste my time trying to help you? You're going to do whatever you're going to do, whatever God determined for you to do. And if you didn't do it, it was God. And if you did it, it was God. And it doesn't matter anyhow. Yeah. I'm, I'm here trying to persuade men. I'm here trying to, trying to constantly, trying to, you know, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade them. As an ambassador for Christ, we, we beseech you as though, as though God beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be reconciled unto God. Why? Because I believe you've got an ability to make that decision. Mm -hmm. Stuff is stupid, man. It makes me mad. It's harmful. Notice some stuff. I want you to see a few things, see a few, a few references here. Go back with me to the book of Acts chapter 2 because this is going to help us with the rest of this chapter. Go back to the book of Acts and let's start in chapter 2. Let me show you some things about Israel and the fact that God actually did reserve some of them because he says in verse 5 of, Rev of Romans 11, even so then at this present time also there's a remnant according to the election of grace. So what he's talking about is the Jews. And he's saying there's a remnant of Jews who are part of the election because they've trusted Christ. All right? Now, back in Acts chapter 2, look at verse 5. Start there. It says, And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men, out of every nation under heaven. And all right, so they're here. And what happens is it's noised abroad. The multitude comes together. They're confounded because every man heard them speak in his own language. Tongues showed up. The Jews all gathered there, and the guys are up preaching, and they're looking around. It's kind of like while the, while the guys are preaching, they're up there preaching, and just let's pick a language. I'm preaching in English. And, and this guy over here is hearing, well, they're listed here, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and dwellers in Mesopotamia, Judea, Judea Cappadocia, Pontius, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, parts of Libya, Cyrene, strangers of Rome, Jews, proselytes, Cretes, Arabians. 
You got that many different languages there. And while the guys are preaching in one language, there's a whole bunch of devout Jews gathered. And all those devout Jews, that means they're, they're guys that are serious and they're, they care about the law and they care about doing right and they're really sincere from the heart. They're devoted to it, right? And while the guys are preaching, there's kind of a stir going on. Everybody's kind of getting distracted. The preacher's missing it. Like, why are they getting all worked up? What's going on? And they're like, you understand what he's saying? No, I'm hearing him. He's preaching. He's preaching in one language. He wasn't up there yabba-dabba, you know, untie a bow tie kind of junk. He was preaching, and they're hearing in their own language. You know what it was? It was the gift of tongues. You know why? Because the Jews require a sign. I'll show you in a minute. So a bunch of those Jews are like, what in the world? There's a sign given to them. Why do they require a sign? Because that's what God always did for them. God gave them signs from the time he took them out of Egypt. That was the habit. That was what they learned and the, how they knew God was going to deal with them. Go to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9, look at verse 22. So you got these guys say you got to be baptized to be saved, right? Acts 2.38. There's a bunch of Jews. John the Baptist came preaching the baptism of repentance to the Jews. That ain't for you. Acts uh, 9, look at verse 22. But Saul increased more in strength, and there confounded the Jews which dwelt at Damascus, proving that this is very Christ. And after many days were fulfilled, the Jews took counsel to kill him. But after their laying await was known to Saul, they watched him, and, and they watched the gates uh, day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him in night by a basket and by, by night and let him down by a wall by the wall in a basket. Well, you see what the Jews are doing? They're rejecting. Originally, a bunch of them heard it and were like, what's going on here? And they're accepting. Now, as you go through the book of Acts, you're watching a process go on where they go from accepting to rejecting. Go to Acts chapter 11. You know, I see a weird verse. Go to verse 19. See, a lot, of the, a lot of the false doctrines come from Matthew, Acts, and Hebrews. You know Why? Because these guys don't believe their Bibles. They don't understand that these are transition books. People say all the time, it'll turn to the New Testament book of Matthew. Okay, I know when you divide the canon, you got a little paper in between there that says the New Testament. And I realize we call that the New Testament. And it is in a sense. In a sense. You've got to understand there's a transition. Because a testament is not of force, according to Hebrews, until the death of the testator. Jesus Christ ain't dead in Matthew chapter 1, 2, 3, 4. That's like writing out my will and testament. Me and Grace sit down and we get together and we say, all right, here's what we're going to do. We've got four kids and we're going to split it all. I want this to go to Anna and Sophia, Lily, and Ava, and here's how I want it to go. And that, there's, there's, the, there's the testament, right? You think for a second they can walk up and say, sell the house, we're taking our portion? That thing ain't on force till I die. You know what you got in Matthew? You got them starting to write out some stuff. And you got people running to the book of Matthew to try to get their salvation from that. He didn't even die on the cross yet. He came offering the Jews the kingdom. He came unto his own. And his own received him not. The Jews. That's why he said to that Gentile woman, it's not meat for me to take the children's bread and cast it to dogs. And she said, yeah, Lord, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And he said, wow, I'll make an exception for you. I have found so great faith. He starts, he's starting a transition period. You got the, 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 uh, the guy whose son was dying, the Roman dude. Well, they, um, help me out here. Centurion. Centurion. You remember that? He's starting to make exceptions. He's showing you a transition period. When he gives them the, he gives them the great commission, he says unto the Jerusalem... Judea, Samaria, the uttermost part of the earth. It says the Jew first and also to the Greek. You know what you got in the book of Acts? You got them first trying to get back to the Jews to tell them, you folks just crucified your Messiah. Will you repent and receive him? Uh, let me give you something a lot of people can't grab a hold of. If they would have repented in Acts chapter 7 when Stephen was preaching, when Stephen died, he said, I saw... The Lord standing 
Right? These goofy preachers say the Lord was standing up to receive his servant. Like Jesus Christ is going to stand when I enter the room. <laughs> you lost your mind. If Jesus Christ stood up every time somebody was martyred for the gospel, he wouldn't have been seated at all in the last 2,000 years. He'd be like, you know. He was standing up because if the Jews had repented and got right, he was going to come back and set up his kingdom. He would have raptured those guys that had already gotten saved in Acts chapter 1 to Acts chapter 7. The rapture would have happened. The judgment seat of Christ, all that kind of thing. He'd come right back and set up his kingdom. You wouldn't be here. We'd be past the millennial reign off into eternity already. How about them apples? <laughs> People can't get a hold of that stuff. They can't understand it. Acts chapter 11, right? Is that where we're at? Did I already read Acts 9? Okay. Acts 11, verse 19. Now they were scattered abroad upon the persecution that rose about Stephen. Uh, rose about Stephen, traveled as far... Wait a second. Let me back it up. I missed something. Now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen. There we go. Traveled as far as Phoenice and Cyprus and Antioch. Watch it. Preaching the word to none but the Jews only. Look at Acts chapter 13. And Paul and Barnabas waxed bold and said, It is necessary that the word of God should have been spoken to you. Should first, I missed that, excuse me. Should first have been spoken to you. See that? The Jew first. Are you guys getting the point? How does everybody miss this stuff? How is it you can go to church your whole life and not be taught this? Don't you think it's really important? I, so that's why you get in debates with people that, that believe in all the sign gifts and you can't win the debate, but you know you're right. So then since they're weak and they're not strong in doctrine, they say, well, you're too doctrinal. Well, you're brainwashed. Yeah, exactly. Wash with the water by the word. Exactly right. I am brainwashed. I would rather have a nice, good, clean shower and come out smelling good than to swim around in a septic tank like you. Because you're either washed or you're not. And if your mind ain't washed with the water of the Word of God, it is full of pollution. You do understand the generation you're living in, don't you? Your mind is full of pollution without this book. So yes, I'm very doctrinal. Because the first application of Scripture is doctrine. Don't apologize for it. Ever. Oh, so you, well, you don't have the Spirit. <coughs> yeah, I do. Proof I have the Spirit is I'm not telling you everything I'm thinking right now because he's telling me to hold it back. But you obviously don't because you want to run your mouth all the time. You see, you've got to watch that stuff. You've got to know how to answer them. And the way to know how to answer them is to be taught this stuff so that you know what you believe and why. It's important. But seeing, verse 46, look at the second half. But seeing ye put it from you and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life. What's a Calvinist do with that? Come on, man. God's not a Calvinist. <laughs> Lo, we turn to the Gentiles. I'll show it to you in, Acts, in Romans 11 in a minute. Go to Acts chapter, uh, go to Acts chapter 18. And when they opposed themselves and blasphemed, he shook his raiment and said unto them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I'm clean. From henceforth I will go to the Gentiles. You know what you got all the way through the book of Acts? You got a bunch of Jews rejecting, 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 sinning against the light they were given, sinning against the light they were given. They're given signs. They're given tongues. They're given all this stuff <clears throat> to prove who Jesus Christ is. And they keep rejecting until they get to a point over in Acts chapter 26. Look at verse 21, Acts 26, 21. They get to a point where they become, they become homicidal. They want him dead. For these causes, the Jews caught me in the temple and went about to kill me. You see what happens when you resist the truth God gives you? You wind up losing your mind... Look at Acts chapter 28. Acts 28, 28. 
Acts 28, 28, Be it known therefore unto you that the salvation of God is sent unto the Gentiles, and that they will hear it. He's going to provoke them with a foolish nation. Go over to 1 Corinthians real quick, and let me show you a verse I've quoted at you a lot of times, but a few of you might need to underline this. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, please. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Look at verse 22. For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. 1 Corinthians 1, 22. Chapter 1, verse 22. The Jews require a sign, but the Greeks seek after wisdom. You know what signs are for? They're for unbelieving Jews. Why are signs being practiced, tongues being practiced in churches where no Jews are present and everybody claims they're already a Christian? Somebody's not reading their Bible. Somebody's running purely by feelings, which is so dangerous. Because the Bible tells you the entrance of thy words giveth light, it giveth understanding unto the simple. So if you start running by feelings and experiences and signs and miracles, you're in big trouble. Can I tell you something? Let me say something to you, please. I want you to hear me for a second. Don't call me a charismatic. I believe with all my heart and soul in a miracle-working God. You're looking at a man right now that believes in miracles. I believe you're sitting on one. Just the fact that we have a church here. I, I love it, man. I love it when I run into people that don't really know a whole lot about it and they find out that I'm a pastor and then they find out that I started the church. I absolutely love being able to say, like, we're not a part of any kind of denomination. There's no mother church that financed us. We started in a living room with 11 people when you counted my two little kids, the house mouse and the people's dog. (laughs) Doing everything we could to get every number we could come up with. And no money. We're in the middle of of the worst recession since the Great Depression. It was January of 2008. Nothing. And here we are today. It's a miracle. It's God. I believe with all my heart. Now listen to me. I believe with all my heart. God is healing Ramona in answer to your prayers. Do you understand me? I believe that. She told me herself. The doctors are talking to her like it it really is a miracle. It should not be happening. I believe we prayed him through because he should be dead. You do not understand how many infections he got. How long, how, he's in a coma for six months. His, his, his skull was gone. They, they took his skull off. You understand what I'm saying? They, that's why he wears the do-rag in church. Because he, he, he's not trying to be a punk. He's embarrassed of his... So, and he apologizes to me for it constantly, all right? So nobody said nothing to him, I don't think. Not around here. but Because his head's all... They, they cut his skull off. A quarter, more than a quarter of his skull off. And put it in the freezer for six months. I was standing in the hallway when they wheeled him through, ha- taking him into the ICU. His head was, his nose was over here. His head was out to here. I'm like, I, told, I called him, I said, he is not going to make it, honey. I, I, that's the most disgusting thing I've ever seen. No, nothing personal, Johnny. It looked that bad. It was terrible. So he's not going to make it. They removed his skull and his brain. You could see his brain. I've seen his brains. I know he has them. I don't know about the rest of you, but I've seen his. Literally, I've seen it. Flap of skin laying there. We prayed him through. He had massive infections, uh, skin infections all over his body, and his temperature spiking through the roof, and he should not be alive. We prayed Paul through. He had a widow maker. She called me. It was, not, it was somewhere around the same time frame. It seems like when it rains, it pours. Don't anybody get sick or anything, okay, please? Well, Brother Paul, uh, uh, Miss Patty called me. I could hear the sirens in the background. I could hear that tone of the voice because the adrenaline's through the roof, right? And preacher, it's not good, it's not good. He had a widow maker, he should be dead. We prayed him through. You know what I believe? I believe we're going to pray Charlene through. I'm not trying to tell you that I'm God. I'm not guaranteeing you that. I never guaranteed it before. 
I'm telling you that I believe we have a miracle work in God and I'm not going to quit asking him. Because I think he can do it. You understand that? I'm not saying I know what he will do. But I believe that. What I don't believe is that I have the power to lay my hands on her and miraculously make God do what I want him to do when I want him to do it. I don't believe I have the power to take the rod and make the Red Sea part. I do believe that if God sends me all the way up and I'm standing at the Red Sea because God wanted me to walk to the Red Sea, that I have to stand still and see the salvation of the Lord and that if God wants to, God can part the Red Sea. You understand that? I believe in a miracle working God. I don't believe that you or I have that gift or ability to make those things happen. So don't come around here laying your hands on people and thinking you're going to heal them. Don't come around here popping off at the mouth speaking in tongues. I'm going to embarrass you. And have fun doing it. You understand what I'm saying? So I'm not downplaying the power of God. I'm telling you that what I hold right here in my hands is a miracle from Almighty God. And I don't believe for two seconds God's going to use you to do or work any miracles at all if you don't care to open up this thing every day of your life and ask God Almighty to speak to your heart and teach you and wash you and clean you and minister to you. If you can't give him 15 minutes of your time every day, if you can't read your Bible cover to cover in a year, once in a 15 minutes, and, and God's going to use you to heal people. Bring in miracles, raise the dead. Don't give me that garbage. I don't believe that for a second. You don't know how to rightly divide the word of truth. You don't know why in some passages it says that he that endureth to the end shall be saved. And if you turn from it, you go to hell. We are not of them that draw back unto perdition, but unto them that believe to the saving of the soul. You got passages that say you can lose your salvation, and then you got passages that say you can't. If you can't tell me where those things fit, and why, I highly doubt God's using you to work miracles so you can look like you're some kind of special thing to everybody else around. That's the motive for miracles and signs in a Gentile church with no lost people around and no Jews are present. The motive is to make you look good. And God ain't going to honor that. He'll honor his son. He'll honor his own glory, but he ain't going to honor my glory. And I'm thankful that he won't honor my glory. And that's exactly why God doesn't let certain preachers go too far too fast. You've got to get old and you've got to get broke up and beat up a little bit before God blesses a thing because too many people in their human nature want to steal God's glory. So he lets it go slow. Sorry, I'm not supposed to be preaching tonight, but it just kind of gets on me sometimes. You know what I'm saying? So we just roll with it. Look at verse 7. Look at verse 6. Romans eleven six. 6. And if by grace, unmerited favor, then it is no more of works. Self-righteous, pharisaical, holy rolling, lost people that are on their way to the devil's hell cannot swallow that bitter pill. You know why? Because you're arrogant. Because you think your works are going to save you and Jesus ain't enough. You better watch out for that stuff. It's exactly right. It's a Cain spirit. They're going to offer God what they want to offer Him, not what He says. It's not of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. So how are they saved in the Old Testament the same way you are? They aren't. The Old Testament, if a man turns from his righteousness, he dies in his sin. In the New Testament, if you're born again, your righteousness is Jesus Christ. It's imputed. We No, we don't believe you can live like hell. You know that already. You'll get judged by your heavenly Father if your works aren't pleasing to Him. You can't live in adultery, fornication, lasciviousness, uncleanness, all that. So Paul goes on and on and on and on and lists a whole bunch of stuff you're supposed to, all the works of the flesh you're supposed to put off. Why? Because you want God, number one, to reward you when you get to heaven, and number two, you don't want Him to beat the snot out of you while you're here, because He will. We don't believe we just get away scot-free. There's a judgment seat of Christ coming. But I know this, my soul gets away. Yet he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. My soul saved. Nothing's going to change that because it's Jesus Christ that did the work. It's not of works. 
Verse, uh, verse 6, but if it be of works, then there's no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. What then? Israel hath not obtained that which he seeketh for. But the election hath obtained it, and the rest were blinded. So Israel was out there looking for their own righteousness, and they didn't get it. They got no righteousness at all. Notice something very important to clear up any confusion. Israel hath not what? Obtained. Obtained means gained, procured, or acquired. How could you be a Calvinist? You want righteousness? Then you better find it in Jesus Christ. They didn't obtain it because they stumbled at that stumbling stone. They couldn't get over the fact that they just really believed in their own works. They were self-righteous. They wanted to keep the law. They wanted to do something. I just, I just, I feel like, I just still feel like I just have to do something. I just feel like, I just don't know how it can be that easy. <laughs> if it's so easy, why are you having such a hard time? You know why? Because you can't get over yourself to say, you know what? There's nothing I can do. And then if I don't humble myself and call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in desperation, putting my faith in what he did on the cross and simply ask God to forgive me and wash me clean in the blood of his son that I'm going to split hell wide open. It's such a humiliating and humbling thing. And it's the greatest thing you could ever do in your whole life because God resists it. The proud but giveth grace unto the humble. So they didn't obtain it. Why? Let me show you a few verses and then we'll be done for tonight. We'll stop here in verse number 7. Well, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll stop in verse... We might grab verse 8 real quick, actually. Go to John chapter 1, please. I want you to see something. This, to me, is super encouraging. John chapter 1, and let's start in verse... I think I might have said 9, but I want to start in verse... Uh, well, let's start in verse 1 real quick. In the beginning was the Word. See the capital W? Jesus Christ. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Jesus Christ was the Creator. In Him was life. See it? And the life was what? It was the light of men. So God gave every single man on the planet life. That means inside of you, lost or saved, there's a little tiny light flickering. It's the spirit. It's life. They're alive. So there's this, there's this tiny little candle inside. The spirit of man is the candle of the Lord. He searches the innermost parts of the belly. So in every human being, there's a level of light. It's called conscience. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness, to bear witness of the light. So the Lord said, all right, I'm giving them a light, but they ain't getting it. Because their hearts are so dark. John, what I want you to do is I want you to go make that light brighter. I want you to go put that light right in their face. Has anybody ever told you what it takes to get to heaven? Has anybody ever showed you from the Bible what it means to be saved? Just... just just high beams, just boom. Yeah. That's what you. That's what. That's what you should be doing. Yeah. I, I still believe God blesses. I know we're not fundamentalists. They think the only reason you exist is to win souls, so they can get bigger churches. I don't have that same motivation. I don't believe the only reason you exist is to win souls. I believe the only reason you exist is to bring pleasure to God, yeah. glory to God. But I think every church that God honors and blesses and grows and helps and works miracles for and parts the Red Sea for, every single church that God will do that for is going to be a soul winning church. That doesn't mean just the preacher. That means the people will be soul conscious in that church. They'll care about people's souls. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light. See the capital L? That all men through him might believe. He was not that light. That all men through him might believe. What's God's will? That the elect might believe. That only the people that he picks. He said, I want all men to believe. I've given all men life. And I want all men to have the light. And now I'm going to send preachers to brighten that light. Turn it up. Turn up the light. Turn up the light. 
You know what's nice about the generation you live in? It's so cotton picking dark our, dark, our tiny little light shines a lot brighter than you think. We might be shocked when we get to heaven to find out how far our light went. We might not even know how far it's going. All you got to do is just bear witness of the light. Just, just keep, it, keep it all about Jesus around here, would you please? Keep it all about the book. And that light will shine, man. He was not that light. John wasn't. But was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. Jesus Christ gives every single human being on the planet light. Look at John chapter 3, verse 19. John chapter 3, verse 19. We're almost done. And this is the condemnation that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because God didn't choose them. Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. They made a choice. You understand that? They pick what's wrong. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light. Neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. So the reason that they don't want it is because they got a wicked heart. Now watch what happens, and we'll be done here. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Look at verse 7. 2 Corinthians 3, 7. But if the ministration of death, written and engraven in stones, was glorious, that was that Old Testament law, that was the written and engraven in stones, that's the Ten Commandments. And they were glorious. Right? So that the children of Israel could not look steadfastly upon the face of Moses. Well, you know your Bible well enough. You've read the Bible enough to know what that's talking about. And you've read that story, how he went up there and got those commandments, and his face was shining and all that stuff. Uh, the, uh, the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses for the glory of his countenance, which glory was to be done away. Hmm. How shall not the ministration of the Spirit be rather glorious? That's what you're supposed to be doing. Ministration of the Spirit. For if the ministration of condemnation, that's the law, that's the commandments. That's why Jesus told you if a man looks on a woman to lust, he's committed adultery in his heart. His point was you all broke the commandments. The original commandments that God gave him when God wrote it with his finger, he comes down off the mountain and he finds them down there having some kind of a Baalite service and they're naked and dancing to their shame and fornications going on in the camp and they've made a golden calf. They took out the earrings in their ears and made a golden calf and Moses had those Ten Commandments and he threw them down and he did what with them? <laughs> the point is, y'all broke them. That's the point. And he's telling you that if that ministration was glorious and the ministration of condemnation be glory, it is glory. It shows the glory of God because it contrasts God's holiness with your wickedness and my wickedness and the wickedness of the whole world for all have sinned. It's pretty simple, ain't it? You got to see how simple the Bible is? It's not that hard, is it? Isn't that a blessing? Much more doth the ministration of righteousness... That's Jesus Christ. Exceed in glory. For even then that which was glorious had no glory in this regard, respect by reason of the glory that excelleth. For in that which is done away, for if that which is done away was glorious, much more that which remaineth is glorious. Seeing then that we have such hope, we use great plainness of speech. And not as Moses, which put a veil over his face, that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which was abolished. But their minds, watch it, were blinded. For until this day remaineth the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ. Even unto this day, when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart. You know why? Because they wanted their sin. He gave them the light. He said, we don't talk like Moses through a veil. We're straight at you. We talk plain. We talk maybe a little on the rough side, maybe a little too plain, just street language. Just, just, yeah, don't you think Paul could have, could, have, could have battled it out with the best of them? He sat under the brightest minds and graduated from the best of school with honors. And bragged about his honors and chose not to use it. He talked plain. 
Why? Because he wants to wake them up from their blindness. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. You're right there. In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. You know what happens? When they don't want the truth and they choose their sin, back to Romans 11, let's wrap it up for tonight. When they, when they re- reject the truth and choose their sin over it, God gives them chance. Remember we went through Acts and I showed you? After chance, after chance, after chance, after chance. And then when it comes to a certain point, God says, fine, if you want falsehood, you got it. And then he blinds their minds. He gives them over to Satan. And Satan will put a seal on their eyes so tight you can't see the light of day for nothing. That's what happened with Israel. He gave her chance after chance after chance after chance and she rejected, 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 rejected all the way through the book of Acts. He gave her miracles. He gave her signs. He gave her captivity. He gave her deliverance from captivity. He had her temple destroyed. He had her temple rebuilt. He gave her sign after sign after sign and she kept rejecting everything. He rejected all those prophets with all their signs and all their miracles and all the rest of that stuff. He sends he sends a son. They kill the son. He Then after that, he raises a son from the dead. He puts gifts in the apostles. He gives her chance after chance after and she rejects, rejects, rejects and he says, says, fine, I'll shut the lights off. Now, in Romans 11, the rest are blinded. And I just explained to you already verse 8. According as it is written, God hath given them the spirit of slumber, eyes that they should not see, ears that they should not hear unto this day. So, your Calvinist is going to say, see, God closed her eyes. That means he chooses who can and can't see. Well, did I do a good enough job running enough references to show you how much light God gave her and how much light she rejected because she had sinful deeds and her sinful deeds were all about her own self-righteousness and a rejection of Jesus Christ? And so he finally said, fine, if you don't want the light, you get lightning. You know what worries me about you? You got the truth. You do. And if you reject it, if you backslide on it, if you get out of it, if away from it, You better be careful. Because the Spirit of God, and I'm saying this for some of you in case you get out there, I want my voice ringing in your ears. I want God the Holy Ghost to wake you up at 2.30 in the morning, hungover and wasted and cotton mouth and headache and everything else, and I want you to hear my voice, hungover, wasted, cotton mouth. I mean, God's going to shut you off. I want you to get scared. Because you'll resist, you'll resist, you'll resist. He'll tell you, tell you, tell you. And if you resist the light, God will shut the lights off. He has no obligation to force the light in your face. He's already given you more light. If you don't want what He gives you and you reject it, light rejected becomes lightning. And we'll see it next week. But He said, if I'll break off the Jew, my chosen people, you better believe I'll break you off too. All right, let's, uh, on that positive note, let's pray and be dismissed for tonight.